This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Time to put on the show. Quiz. That's coming up at 8.30. Uh, all that's at stake is Paul's pride. Danny, I, I didn't. I'm sorry. I was clearing the EAS. I didn't get you up in time. You, mean, you need to tell them one more time what we're doing at 8.30. Coming up at 8.30, we are going to be having a hockey vocabulary quiz. And all that's at stake is Paul's pride. It's going to be very, very fun. Like, we can't give you a prize. We're going to be giving out Mariners tickets later in the hour. Two tickets to the July, or Ju- July 24th game where you get retro jersey. But, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna make an example of Paul. Well, what do, what do I get? What do I get? Well, is this karma for me thinking that it's actually good for the Seahawks that Cam Akers is out for the season, even though I feel bad for Cam Akers? Yeah, it's, you don't need to keep saying it, for sure. Like, now you're just tempting fate. Some people are honest and other people, you know, are cowards. But, you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. It is time to bring in Brock Heward for Blue 42. He's going to tear himself away from SEC Media Day, as well as uh, defending the softest rule ever created, which was that teams will be penalized for flashing horns down at the Texas Longhorns this year, which is hilarious. It's Blue 42. Here we go. This is Blue 42. We're going to go red, right, tight, close, sprint left, GU corner, halfback, flat, on two. Ready, right. Now here's your host, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Blue 42! Good morning, Brock. How are you now? Good morning, Polly. I'm doing well, doing well. That's pretty devastating news out of Los Angeles with their young stud running back. Feel terrible. It does stink. Feel terrible for Matthew Stafford and Sean McVay. Paul? Jeez, well, what kind of human are you? Where's your compassion? Pro your Football Focus just tweeted out that Daryl Henderson's going to run for 1,450 yards and 10 touchdowns, so they're fine based off of that. Yeah, Daryl Henderson can't stay healthy. That's no. not going to happen. I know. He's too, he's too small, and, and it is a bummer. I, and, and I know you're being honest, and there's a lot of Seahawks fans that say, hey, that's the way it goes, right? Chris Carson's been banged up for a ton of his career, and the Seahawks certainly had a litany of injuries over the years. You know, the baseball team in town a couple years ago, I think they played like 92 players because everybody got hurt. So injuries are a part of this thing. That just is a, a significant bummer. I, Paul, I think, Danny, when you were in Hawaii, Paul asked me last week, was it about all the Achilles injuries with one yeah. CFL team? Was it five different players? Saskatchewan Rough Riders, right? They had yes. four uh, torn Achilles over a span of six minutes of practice. Yeah, in the is same a- field. Yes, oh. yes, oh. bad deal. And I know this is a wheelhouse for the professor, and you guys probably hit on it earlier. And I know he studies those injuries, and he's got a huge, you know, part of his database that's all injuries and everything else. It will be, I think, fairly compelling once again when we get into training camp to see tendons, be it in the knee, the Achilles, hamstrings, right? The workload this offseason still not what it has been in the past. So it will be uh, certainly worth studying once again. Do you you think there's the possibility that the lack of workload leads to guys blowing out tendons? I think, Danny, yeah, I think when you've got just, uh, you know, we used to report in March, right? And Walter Jones, I remember this vividly, because I spent an entire month Hired a track coach, try to get faster. I knew we would come back in March. This was going into my second year, and I just wanted to I wanted to be faster. And I knew that our strength coach, Kenton Johnson, would, would time some things when we come back in March to begin training. And 
and did all this work. And Walter Jones at 357 pounds, who had done nothing but let his body relax after a season, was faster in the 20 yards than me. Um, one of the more humiliating moments of my life. So, you know, but Walter used March, April, May, June, July. You've got strength coaches. You've got a program. You just have a, a regimen and a routine. I think where it gets a little choppy, Danny, is in, in why I probably land a little more on this side of I do think when you've got private strength coaches and I'm hiring this trainer and my guy wants me to do this and the team wants me to do that and I was in the program for two months and then I'm out of the program and then I'm doing somebody else's stuff. I think that it can be a little convoluted and I think at times, unfortunately, those are those two entities are not on the same team. <laughs> the team is on the team side. Uh, personal trainers who you know want to get guys a little fitter or they're, that are getting paid to get results tend to work for their own best interest. And, and I think that tug of war at times can lead to some of these injuries. Well, speaking of those injuries, Brock, Marquise Blair suffered that torn ACL week two for the Seahawks. And we were asking the question just a couple of minutes ago, what do you do with Marquise Blair? Is he your number one nickel corner by default going into this season? Do you move him into a different spot? Is Ugo Amadi that guy? And I guess where do you yeah. see Marquise Blair fitting into the Seahawks defense this coming season? The essence of competition is right where he fits. And depending on Jamal Adams and, and how much he can go this training camp, which I I still have severe doubts, not even contract-related, but just injury-related, right? Coming off of significant shoulder surgery, finger surgery. Do we know even the timetable of, of the rehab of all of that? I, I think I'd bet an awful lot that he's going to be on, on PUP. So I, I think Marquise Blair has got to look at that and say, man, year three, it is my time. And I know Jamal is a stud. And I know they're going to pay him a ton of dough. And if and when he comes back, it's going to be his job. But when he's not there... I still see that guy as a strong safety. I, mean, I, I still see him as an absolute hammer in one of the most fierce, tackling, explosive safeties when he was coming out of college. And I, I, I'm kind of excited to be just watching, you know, some of the minicamp and OTA footage and everything else. I, I'm kind of excited to see him when the pads come on because that dude's in go time right now. Question two. Melvin Ingram, one year up to $4 million, which the professor cautioned us. Don't don't take that at face value. That might be $2.5 million in base salary to the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's, that's slightly more than what Seattle's paying Benson Mayoa. Slightly more than Kerry Hyder. Melvin Ingram's a former first-round pick. He's not been all that productive recently. What do you, what do you make of, of the deal that Melvin ended up taking from the Steelers? I think there's some counsel, wise counsel there from the professor when it's – when and Danny, <laughs> you know a lot of agents. Yeah. When it's up to $4 million, up what to, does that mean? Yeah. What does that mean? Yeah, that means chop at least a million and a half off. At of that. least. That is if, if everything goes right and he wins Correct. the Super Bowl and is named the MVP, he'll get So base minimum for a Vesta guy 10 years is probably a million five. Yeah, one three, probably somewhere or somewhere so one, between one, one three, three and one, one five. five. Does he get a quarter million to sign, and then all of a sudden the uh, the rest of the two and a half is fluffy, fluffy of of incentives and bonuses and and on the roster and game day active and who knows how all of that is written up. So yeah, I, up two is pretty telling to me, and it's probably a minimum deal with a little bit of a bonus and then you know some incentive laden deal makes me feel just fine about Kerry Hyder and Benson Mayoa and. 
And can you give me any update on Alden Smith? Yet another name that as we look at this Seahawks roster that we know very little about, which, and they report in seven days, correct? The rookies? Yep. And then the veterans trickle in and physicals and everything else. We have any sense, any update from Louisiana, from New Orleans, from the municipalities and cities, and what's going on down there with Alden? Isn't isn't that a a no news is good news situation? Yes. Like when you're talking about someone maybe being incarcerated or facing like the less news the better but wouldn't you have a i mean it's been months yeah and they haven't pressed a charge they haven't dismissed the case no wouldn't wouldn't you think this far in you'd be like i mean come on now well i'm gonna say this it in in my understanding of the criminal justice system there might be in fact bigger fish to fry than trying to sort through exactly why alden smith choked a man unconscious outside of a coffee shop at 7 p.m. in the evening. And it might just be one of those things that are like, yeah, we'll get to that when we get to that. These guys can't agree on how he got choked unconscious. Yes. All all very, very true. And he should get (laughs) no special Come on, man, I need to go to work. And they're like, you wait out there. You choked him (laughs) unconscious. You don't hurry us up. This is on our time. What was his deal, by the way, when you want to compare and contrast? One thing with Mayoa oh, and Kerry Hyder, what was all I thought it was like one million, one year, $2 million. Am I wrong? Correct. Was there any up-tos? <laughs> I would just say, look at this. The, the Cowboys had him for a very reasonable contract last year. Their defense stinks, and they let him walk. So no. uh, $1.1 million with the Seahawks. Yeah. There we go. So They're he's just a minimum much. deal. That's at least how I feel. So good it. job, Melvin Ingram's agent. Way to go. Question number three. Mark Ross had some very interesting things to say about Jamal Adams and the Seahawks as they tried to get him back into the fold and signed to a long-term extension. You know, I think Jamal Adams is a fantastic player, but Seattle has already given up so much for him. The two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and a player in Bradley McDougal when they traded him, got him from the Jets. And when they made that deal, I said, this has got to be a Super Bowl-type defense for Seattle. When they make this, you give up all that capital for a player like that. And Jamal Adams, although the, the defense got better, he didn't transform the defense. And his the big part about him, the worry, is his skill set. I mean, he's essentially a outside linebacker slash pass rusher. He's not a true free safety. But he still is the best pass rusher on that defense. And I just don't see them being able uh, to make a run with the top-tier contenders and giving that significant money to him, which will limit what they can do elsewhere on the roster where they need improvement. For those who don't know, Ross is a former NFL VP for the Giants and a current NFL Network analyst. That's what I was just going to ask. Mm-hmm. I was like, Once he started talking, I thought it was a media guy, and I was like, no, that's Mark Ross. He's a former executive. What's he talking about? Mm. He, he's he, towing he's the saying, entire he's, New he's York saying, City he, company line, which everyone he's seems saying to be doing he's over. He's, he's good, but he's overrated. I couldn't understand. They gave up all of this, but he's not good. He only does... What the, what's he talking about? Jamal Adams is a great player. Jamal Adams is a great player and deserves one of the best salaries of a safety. He's going to want to be paid like a, a pass rusher. The Seahawks are going to say he's played like a safety. But no. the rest of this, I'm like, ah, he might be. The rest of that's just. Blah. And you're not looking in the rearview mirror either. Like the, wow. the sunk cost is the sunk cost. Bradley McDougald, okay, that's that's McDougal. that was that was a given. The first round pick, you know, this last spring, okay, next year, the first and the third, you know, that that will bite a little bit but that's the sunk cost that that's what you got to do that's the going rate for a playmaking difference maker and and loud and it was interesting i was bringing molly to the airport this morning macy our middle has her final 
big national tournament of the summer for recruiting and, and AAU and the whole Macy. basketball world. Yep, all that good stuff. And, you know, we were just chatting about different players. And, you know, we talked about one player in particular in the program. And she says, isn't it amazing how much of a leader this gal is? She's just loud, right? And, uh, you know, if you've heard this once, you've heard it a uh, hundred times from coaches and college coaches and NFL coaches. And I hate the term alpha. Like, oh, he's just an alpha, right? He's just loud. But the, the willingness and the courage to say something, right, to, to, to be loud, to call for the ball, you know, to be demonstrative on the court, you know, just to, just to get people going, to get after other teammates, to hold them accountable and, and do so verbally and do so in a demonstrative way. That is a dying breed, a dying breed with our youth and young people. They don't want to do that. They don't like to do that. 20 years ago, that was not the case. Nick Saban has told me that, you know, that his teams in the early 2000s, he'd oftentimes have eight, nine, ten of those guys in the locker room. And the challenge was actually, you know, making sure that they didn't kill one another. (laughs) Now, if you can find one or two, you are thrilled about that because there are entire teams that don't have any of them. And I would add that into this commentary with Jamal, and that was part of why I think he was to Pete and to John, and especially after the LOB and the absence of all of that noise and demonstrative and accountable leaders, they needed a guy that, that was willing to to speak and to speak his mind and to be and to put himself out there in that way. And number thirty three will certainly do that. And I think in the coming days and leading up into training camp, we may finally hear from him as well. Now, one of the things that is truly, I love this topic. Sam Walker wrote a book called The Captain Class, and it, he looked at what he described as the, the, the 10 best sports dynasties across the globe, like multiple sports, over the past 120 years. Wow. And he looked for a common trait, and the common trait was that each of those teams had a captain. Each of those teams had a captain, and he goes further to define what the captain means, and it's that person who pulls everybody together. It's real leadership. Yes. It is sometimes that player's kind of dirty. Like there's on like willing so obsessed by winning that they're willing to, to cut the rules. Like he has it's it's an incredibly now, what I found amusing is that Derek Jeter was not on that. The huh. Yankees didn't make those teams and he was not part of the captain class. Though I, I think everybody understands the leader Jeter was. Yeah. Um J- Jordan also not on there, although Sam Walker's kind of re- revised and had some revision to that. I, I think what you're saying is very true. And identifying real leadership is it's not always easy because there's a lot of guys that will tell you they're leaders and a lot of guys that act like leaders and guys that want to speak up like leaders, but guys that that other players truly respond to, it's hard to find that. It's hard to find that. Yes, and 10 years ago, 20 years ago, I think it was easier to put your neck out there and sometimes create sparks and friction and, and, and have those moments. And guess what they were not? They were not captured on video. They were not captured on a phone. They did not go viral. You didn't have to. That was never a concern of, hey, man, who is who is watching me? Where where is this going to be going? You know, if I'm going to confront somebody in a locker room, rightfully so, for their selfishness or whatever, does another teammate, you know, is is he running on that? And all of a sudden, does it get leaked? And oh, because that teammate didn't like me either because I was hard on him and demanding on him. and, And all of a sudden that thing is sourced and goes viral. And and I like likes. You know, and, and I like retweets, and I yeah. like thumbs ups, 
And, and I don't, I don't <laughs> like the blowback that comes from the other side of it. So honestly, I think, and that's not to just like, oh, social media is all bad and I'm old man yelling at the clouds and get off my lawn. Oh. It's just the reality that what you do today and what you say is out there and in that space and can be in numerous different ways now. So players are even more guarded and I think protecting themselves. I'm going to put you on the spot, Brock. Yes, Best sir. leader you've ever been around. Been a few of them. I mean, I, I always say this. John Fiala is way, way up there. Oh, yes. I love John Fiala. Yes. Was a walk-on Paul in the uh, in the in the 90s here. And oh, went to, okay. Yeah, went to, what, Lake Washington or somewhere in yeah. Bellevue High School, Lake Washington High School, and, then, and had scholarship offers to other schools. But he was dead set on being a Husky. And he walked on to the UW. He was a middle linebacker. He earned his scholarship. He played six years, five years in the NFL, kind of Ben Burkirvan esque yep. special teamer, absolute stud, and just a total rock. I mean, just a total rock. And, you know, when I was playing as a redshirt freshman, there were upperclassmen that didn't like that. There were a lot of friends of, of the redshirt junior at that time who had been patient, who waited his turn, and Fiala, like, stood in the gap. And, you know, just was just a rock solid dude. So he would be way, way up there around some of the great leaders. And that's probably a name that uh, that folks, uh, Olin Krutz was a little bit different <laughs> in his leadership style, but he was the same way. He was the exact same way, man. Couldn't wait to get in that huddle with that guy. So those were certainly two of the more demonstrative in their own ways that I played with in college, Danny. We're going to stop talking about Olin Krutz because I don't want him texting me to ask for your phone number again. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. <laughs> no, we're good that now. Is, we're text that, buddies and Twitter buddies now. We're good. <laughs> that, that is Brock. But don't you tell Brock. the story. Goodbye. Love you. Talk to you Thursday. <laughs> Bye. Brock York, Blue 42. Is Brock gone? Let me know when Brock's gone so I can tell that story. You want to hear this story, Paul? I do, because everything is going over my head for like the last three to four You're familiar minutes. with Brock Olin Krutz. says he's Kruitz. not going to go away. He's listening. Oh. You're, you're familiar with Olin Krutz? Yes. Olin Krutz was a center, one, a great NFL career. Mm-hmm. Olin Krutz is one of the toughest dudes ever to play at the University of Washington. Olin Krutz is also known for, in two different instances, being involved in an altercation in which he punched a teammate and broke his jaw. Ooh. First one happened at the University of Washington. Second one happened when he was with the Chicago Bears. Now, the second time it happened, that dude's name was Fred Miller. And Fred, who had his jaw broken, actually was the one that apologized to Olin for starting that fight. So Fred got his jaw broken and then apologized to Olin, which should give you some sort of idea. I wrote a story about Olin when he was with the Bears. I I was at UW at the same time Olin was there. And in that, I talked to Brock about his memories. Brock told a very amusing story. In which, as I think they're freshmen, I think they're freshmen together. So it would have been 1995. And at the, the dormitory hall, Haggett Hall, Brock saw Olin Kreutz's mother and told her she was very pretty. Told Olin, said, Olin, your mom is very, very pretty. Olin became enraged and proceeded to chase Brock around the Haggett Hall dining room. Oh God! This is the story that's relayed to me. I'm a newspaper reporter. What do you think my story started with the next day? That? It starts with that story. Brock also said, I will tell you this, that I didn't have a more concerned lineman. And I thought when Olin left, because Olin, and he was one of eight players that left the University of Washington after the 97 season, 
and were drafted. They had a ton of dudes drafted. Rashawn Sheehy, Fred Coleman, and Olin was one of those guys that left early. And Brock said, hey, I thought losing him was one of the biggest losses that we suffered, that we felt that the most the next year. So it was this huge compliment that was paid to Olin. I get a text message from Olin after the story runs. And he says, hey, do you have Brock Hewitt's phone number? And I was like, I'm I'm not going to give out somebody else's phone number. And he goes, okay, well, just tell him I want him to stop saying stories that make me sound crazy. (laughs) Well, that's going to make everyone stop telling those stories when you call somebody. This is 2006. Because they met the Bears in the playoffs that year. They played them twice that year after the the first game. The first game is when I wrote that story. The oh, wow. second game, Brock was actually at Soldier Field because he was part of the pregame show, I believe, with Dory Monson and everybody else that was there. And so there was there was a chance that I, I don't think that they were. They've subsequently, as Brock indicated, they talked. It was one of the funniest things. And, and I almost <laughs> said this to Olin. I almost texted this back to Olin. I was like... Yeah, because texting a reporter to try and give a peace of mind to a former teammate doesn't sound psycho at all. Old. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you probably should have. That would, that would help him out, right? That would steer him back. Dude, I don't want Olin Krutz running after me. Like, Brock, at least, is a former professional athlete. Like, I'm just doing my job. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But I feel like sometimes somebody like that needs a like a little shake that you could do via text because you definitely don't want to do it in person because you'll be broken jaw number three. No, what that person needs is a big stake thrown in the opposite direction, <laughs> so they'll run after that. Like, you don't have to be tougher than the bear. You just have to get the bear to run after somebody else. <laughs> Throw a stake. Yeah, just all of a sudden, like, here. Oh, whoa, I don't need to go. But and I'm seriously, the bad guy. I'm the bad guy. <laughs> I said about Cam Akers. Olin is, and, 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 what, and I say this, is one of the toughest dudes that I've ever seen. And, and what he meant, and that leadership that Brock talks about, is, it's, a really, it's a very real thing. It's also, I think, can be extremely hard to identify and differentiate between guys who want to sound like leaders and guys who actually want to do the leading. Because part of being a true leader is making the people around you, being willing to make them uncomfortable, yeah. being willing to challenge them. And I'll tell you right now, I don't have that personality. Like, I, I, I don't. Like, there are a lot of things that that's not my skills. I don't make... I don't like to deliberately make people around me uncomfortable, and that can be to the, to my own or to my company's detriment at times. I don't like to do it deliberately either. I do it usually accidentally. Olin Krutz, by the way, I mean, first off, you got the cowboy collar. Second, you got the helmet with the bar down the middle. That, I feel like, is a sign of old school intimidation. I mean, if you, those, I don't know how those guys used to play with that, because I would figure it would make you go cross-eyed, but I always felt that it made any lineman look a little bit scarier. Olin legitimately tough. When he broke Fred Miller's jaw, that came after Fred threw a dumbbell at him. And wow. It was, a fu- it was a fight that actually, a disagreement that started at a gun range where the Bears wow. went there on Jeez. an outing under FBI supervision. That's how crazy that story was. And again, Fred Miller's the one that ended up with his jaw wired shut, and he was apologizing well, to Olin for starting you, the fight. You throw a dumbbell at somebody, yeah, you should apologize. <laughs> but I wish I had seen that. I kind of want to see what kind of form Fred Miller had throwing that dumbbell. My goodness. It's Danny and Gallant. We got a hockey quiz coming up next. If you want to best Paul to beat Paul Gallant at Hockey Trivia, 206-421-3776. We're going to line up four people. Hockey Trivia next.
You're listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Anybody on the line right now? I thought that people would be leaping at the opportunity to, to challenge you, Paul. Well, they're cowards. Scared. And I get it. I mean, one of the smartest minds when it comes to hockey in this city. 206-421-3776. If you want to take part in our game, nothing's at stake except Paul's pride. We have a special guest who is going to assist us with, with hockey term definitions. Uh, let's let's introduce our special guest. Uh, he refers to himself as the dog cherry or the greater one. Here he is. Get out your dictionaries because today, the professor of pucks, dog cherry, a.k.a. the greater one, is teaching you hockey words. At Hockey 101, the Hockey Slam Edition. Oh, Snoop D-O-double-G, that's awesome. So here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give Paul a word or ask him for a term. Okay. He's going to tell me what he thinks it is, and then we're going to check it with the dog father. Oh, oh God. (laughs) If you want to call and participate the way that you can do that, 206-421-3776, you're going to tell me whether you think Paul is right or not. Okay. And then we can either laugh at both of you or we can all laugh at Paul if he gets it wrong. Or if Paul gets it right and you lose, then we will make a mockery of you as well. Uh, we are getting a, a caller that sounds like they're going to be on the line here. How would, you, how would you rate your confidence in this? Hockey has a lot of slang. Hockey's got an awful lot of slang. So hockey is an ancient religion for me. It's a sport that I really did used to enjoy. I went to 12 games the year that the Lightning won the Stanley Cup in 2004. The problem was a lockout happened the next year. So then all that excitement and joy that I had for hockey kind of subsided for a moment. So this is, this is going to be dangerous, I think. Dangerous for me. Okay. We're gonna, we got a second caller that's coming on. Joseph from South Hill is going to be on line one. We're getting a second caller, and then we'll, be, we'll begin this. The expansion draft is tomorrow uh, mm-hmm. from 5 to 7. Mike Salk, Bob Stelton, John Paul Morosi, who you might know from the MLB Network, was going to be our NHL insider. Um, at one point, I know that John Paul, in his college career at Harvard, his grades were failing, and his father became mad because he's like, I, you didn't go to Harvard to cover Boston College hockey, to be, cover beanpot hockey. So that'll be from 5 to 7 tomorrow. we got two callers on the line. Let's go and start out. Well, let's, let's meet our callers. First up is Joseph in South Hill. Joseph, how are you? Yo. I'm doing good. How about yourself? I, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, what would you say that your confidence is in Paul's command of hockey slang? Oh, my confidence in Paul's command of hockey is very, very low. <laughs> very low. Okay, okay. It's good to get that out of the... Uh, that is Joseph from South Hill. Let's Accurate. meet our second caller is Tom from Richland. And Tom, do you, are you more confident than our, than our other contestant, Joseph, in Paul's command of hockey vernacular? Oh, no, I would be less. Oh, okay. We got a couple of haters. Me of little faith. A couple of haters. All right, let's get, let's get underway. The first one, Joseph is going to be first up, but what's going to happen is I'm going to ask Paul for the definition of a term. I then I'm going to bring on Joseph, guys. Sorry, hopefully he'll uh, call back here. I, I, Tom will be first on deck then. And I will ask Tom his confidence level in Paul's definition, and then we'll listen to the dog fathers, he says. The first one, Paul, is uh, what piece of fruit... What piece of fruit is used to characterize an assist? Oh, God. Well, 
This is a wild guess. I like apples. So how about them apples? All right, Tom. Paul has Paul has taken a stab with apples. Do you think Paul is right, or are you going to take any other fruit other than apples? Could be it will will end up being the term used for an assist. That's wrong. <laughs> well, let's consult with the dog. No father. faith. No if loyalty. An assist, like your man Claude Giroux. He has mad apples. Oh, oh! What's up, Tom? What's up? All right, Tom. <laughs> We have Joseph back. Tom is Tom, Tom scores. Tom scores no points. No, Tom's still on. He'll get more opportunities. Oh, okay. Joe gets. Joe gets our second opportunity. No, actually, sorry, we uh, we're confusing people. Tom hung up, but we do have Joseph back. <laughs> he bailed. Tom <laughs> scared. Tom couldn't handle losing. Paul, yeah. What term is used for a hockey player's hair? Oh, oh, this one. And and I and if I'm not mistaken, this is also this is also for lacrosse. Lettuce. Joseph, do you think lettuce is gonna be the correct term? I actually think it will. I actually think it will. There we go, Joseph. Someone has let, let, let's consult with the Snoop D O Double G. In hockey, flow has nothing to do with rhyming. It's about wild hair. Like this guy has great flow. I have to intervene though because lettuce is a, a hair hockey term too. Okay, so he's calling it. So it's flow per Snoop. Flow. Both are. He correct. has incredible flow. Okay. Yeah. I've heard nope, nobody I've gets any heard. points for that one. We still never... got Joseph. We still got Joseph here. Joseph will continue yep. to compete uh, as as we go along. Number three. When a player hits a slap shot between a goalie's legs, where is he going? Five hole. Joseph, do you think Paul is correct? What did he say? Five hole. Five five hole. No. No. Why don't you think Paul's right? I think it's the six hole. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Let's let's hear from Snoop. I kind of hope I'm wrong. Let's let's hear from Snoop. (laughs) The five hole is the space between the goalies leg. Going five hole sounds dirty, but it just (laughs) means scoring in the most humiliating way possible in between the legs <laughs> i don't know why i found that so amusing but i kind of wish the answer was the six hole it's next turn that's the five hole because it, the six hole would make sense right if we're looking at a clock and uh, you know i'm assuming if you're gonna that's go around what i was going yeah okay no, it's like one, two are the upper and upper left, upper right quadrants. Three, four are the lower between the arms and the legs, and the five hole is the is the one that's left. You got to think of him as like the goalie's like a starfish. Okay. Ah, okay. That makes sense. <laughs> it doesn't make any. It sense really doesn't. I mean, you go from one no, to two to no. three to five to four like that. Yeah. Anyway, that's just me. Paul, what does it mean when a player is stoned? It means that the goalie uh, stopped a slap shot and knocked it away. Joseph, do you have consensus? Oh. Do you believe Paul's definition? Yeah, yeah, I do. All right, let's check I with the Paul dog. Credit here. He's he's been on he's been on point. Thank you. Well, stoned is when a goalie makes a great save. Uh, that was sort what of did right. you think I mean? Sort of right, right? I don't know if that was one hundred percent right. Okay. Yeah, player gets yeah. stoned. It means that the goalie made an incredible stop. You're one hundred percent correct. Paul, yep. what is a word for a celebration? The slang term for celebration. Yeet. 
Joseph, what do you did believe? He say? How do you spell he that? Y e e t. Yeet. He said yeet. And then I dab. Is the term for for celebration. I'm going to say no. Yeah, I'm going to say no to you with, with you as well. Like what Paul just said is ridiculous and let's confirm that that's, with Snoop. That's what I'm saying. A celly is a hockey celebration after a big goal. Look. He's ice dancing. A celly. <laughs> Okay, Joseph, do we will we say that Paul performed better than expected, about as expected, or below average? Definitely better than expected. Thank you, I appreciate that. Joseph, we appreciate you calling in and participating in our ho- hockey you. vocabulary quiz. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye. Thanks, stay stay tuned to seven ten ESPN Seattle. We're giving away Mariners tickets all day long. You can listen for the cue to call. You can win two tickets to the July twenty fourth Mariners game at T Mobile Park. That's this Saturday. Mariners retro jersey night. The Mariners hosting Oakland. First ten thousand fans get those powder blue jerseys. Look just like the ones the players used to wear. Don't miss out. Get to di- tickets today at Mariners dot com. It is Danny and Gallant. And coming up next, we're going to make a segue from Snoop Dogg to the fact that. Should we just assume the Seahawks are going to finish above 500? I don't see why not. We'll see if Paul can convince me otherwise next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. What you laughing at, Mr. Cactus? Sorry. I just saw George Foster, he's a former offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. He's a good Twitter follow. He, he responded to Cole Beasley. He said, your option routes aren't sweet enough for us to care if you get the shot or not, Les Welker. Damn. <laughs> hey, 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 hey. That's a, that's a pretty good roast. Les Welker. <laughs> that's amazing. By the way, the Mariners have a game on Saturday, and they're going to be giving away retro jerseys. And these retro jerseys look fired. The first 10,000 visitors to T-Mobile Park. So call 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. One minute on the radio or 30 seconds if you're on the stream. And caller number three, you're going to win two tickets to Mariners Retro Jersey Night, July 24th. We're giving away a pair of Mariners tickets each hour today. So stay tuned to 710 ESPN Seattle for your next chance to win. I've got a question. Does Russell Wilson's mere existence, Danny, guarantee that the Seahawks will have a plus 500 record any yes. season that he's under center? I yes. feel the same way. I, I, I think that for a lot of quarterbacks, you just look at their mere presence on the roster and you assume every single season that that guy is quarterback, his team will at the very least be over 500, if not in the playoffs. And I found something striking. With Russell Wilson. And, of course, he's only played nine years in his career thus far. But he has zero sub-500 seasons as a starting quarterback. And there is only one other all-time great quarterback that can make that same claim. It's Tom Brady. Peyton Manning had two. John Elway had two. Brett Favre had two. Aaron Rodgers had two. Joe Montana had three. Drew Brees had seven. So when you look at all of those numbers right there does that mean that hey Russell Wilson truly special perhaps at least when it comes to winning and of course naming one of his children win on the same playing field as Tom Brady just minus all the championships or does that mean that at some point just given all those other great quarterbacks who have had down seasons occasionally Peyton Manning's were at the beginning of his career 
a lot of these guys had them earlier in their careers. But every now and then, I mean, you saw with Aaron Rodgers not too long ago, a 6-10 and 10 season. Is that something that could be around the corner? I don't think so. Look, I, I think the explanation for why Russell Wilson started off when I don't know. If he had been in Peyton Manning's situation, if he had been the first overall pick of a really bad team, would he have been able to vault that team to a winning record right away? I don't know. He started on a team where he didn't need to do a ton. True. Right? And he did more than people will give him credit. Like, he did not... They don't win that Super Bowl without him. They do not. They had a great defense. They don't win that Super Bowl without Russell Wilson. But the reason that they were 11-5 and his first year and 13-3 and his second year and 12-4 and his third year, that was historically great defense as well. But... At this point in his career, yeah, as long as he's healthy, and maybe that's the key, as long as he's healthy as a quarterback, I assume they're a winning team. I, I assume that they're, if not in the playoffs, right there at the brink. That's the baseline. And I don't see any other reason to assume or think that that's going to be otherwise. I'm on the same page. It, it just makes me wonder, though, because there are some people that are expecting a decline for the Seahawks. When does that decline take place? I don't know. It feels like this is something, Danny, that happens every single offseason based off of yeah. our pre-show conversations. Yeah. Every every year we get to the point where, okay, the Seahawks have ha, are about to go off the cliff. The Seahawks are about to go off the cliff. I've, this is the fourth year that I think that that storyline, and this is the year where I would feel that this is it is least believable. Four years ago, Four years ago, I could see it because you were turning the page, right? You were getting ready. That defense was, as they're going into 2018, as they're going into 2018, you're like, Cam Chancellor's not here anymore. Earl Thomas is in his final year of his contract. Richard Sherman is gone. Cliff Averill is gone. Michael Bennett's not here. Like, that's a totally different defense. If you tell me that, you're like, okay, I think the bottom's dropping out. That was much more believable than this is. Why are they going to be worse than they were a year ago? Why, why would they possibly? Eh, so they're, 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 the division's never been easy. True, but the Rams, the Rams are the Rams were a better team three years ago than they are right now. I, the division's never been easy. San Francisco would be better. They will play better quarterbacks this season than they would last year. And again, this is now moving away from Russell Wilson as far as his impact on just being a plus five hundred team. I, I, look, I I think we both agree that they are going to be that plus 500 team this coming season. Because, yeah, if you compare it to years in the past, I remember, I think it was going into the 2018 season where I thought that they were going to fall off a cliff um, after the 2017 year. And they didn't. I mean, they, they did somehow make the playoffs that season. They didn't play very well against the Dallas Cowboys, but they, they were able to somehow get into the, into the dance. This is a team whose regular season win total has increased each of the past three years. And nobody wants to hear that, and I understand why. But every piece of evidence, I, I, I cannot come up with one compelling reason why you would say, hey, here's why this team is going to be worse than it was a year ago. They added Gabe Jackson to an offensive line that, at least for the first half of the season, we thought was significantly improved. Yep. They re-signed Carlos Dunlap, who had a huge impact once he arrived in a, in a midseason trade last year. Jamal Adams... They they did what they did last year in spite of him missing time with a sprain uh, with a groin injury and then suffering a shoulder injury that limited him. I I can't think of one reason why this team is going to be DK Metcalf has just taken a huge step towards stardom. Jordan Brooks I think could be a stud. I can't see one reason why you would like a legitimate reason why. Now if you're going to say I don't know if they're going to get over the hump, okay, I can buy that. They're going to be worse though. 
I don't see a reason why you would look at them this season going into it and say the the whole the sky is falling for the Seahawks. That was so four years ago. If it was going to happen, it was going to happen then, and it didn't happen. Yeah, I, I I feel like for more people, it's do you expect another ten and six, eleven and five, or check that ten and seven, eleven and six, twelve and five kind of season from Seattle, as opposed to expecting them to be maybe a real competitor for the one seed this coming year. And yeah, I think that's a legitimate question. I think that part, have they done enough to get over the hump? Because in my mind, even though we've just said, hey, their regular season win total has improved each of the past three years, it's like they've kind of been the same sort of team. Good enough to get in the playoffs, maybe even win a playoff game, but not a serious, legitimate Super Bowl threat. Is that a quarterback statistic, win-loss records? Can you actually attribute that to quarterbacks, or is that a coaching record? There are quarterbacks who their presence means that you can expect to get into the playoffs every year that quarterback is healthy. Right. I mean, yeah. Brady leaves New England to Tampa Bay. Aaron Rodgers. When True. Aaron Rodgers, you mentioned the 6-10 and 10 record. He's also had broken collar Injuries. Right. Injuries change everything. There are a handful of quarterbacks where if that guy is healthy the whole year, then that, that team should be able to reasonably expect that they're going to make the playoffs. Russell Wilson is one of those. As far as the coaching part of it... I, you need both. I think that the quarterback gives you a more reasonable expectation of making the playoffs annually than the coach. And that sort of lends itself into some of the conversations that we had this offseason, just going back to when everything was as messy as it was. And by the way, speaking of how messy it was, for those who didn't see it, and we'll get the audio probably later on, but Tyler Lockett was on Good Morning Football. We're waiting for the video to actually post. And he was asked about Russell Wilson and if he'll be the team's quarterback going forward. Remember when we had those conversations? Hey, does it, Pete, do you need to, do you want to stick with Pete going forward and move on from Russ, blah, blah, blah? Well, Tyler Lockett said this. I expect Russ to be here for the foreseeable future. Obviously, there was a lot of stuff that went on during the offseason, and I think in the offseason, a lot of TV shows are off. Nobody really has a lot to talk about, so they try to find things to talk about. They try to read between the lines and dig in a little bit more, and that's kind of what it's like in society right now. Wow, going big picture. You try to figure out what type of news, what's the best article to write to get a lot of people to pay attention. Yeah, that's totally true. Like that, that 100%, it was invented. Like it was just the desire for clicks is why Russell and Wilson's agent provided, provided a list of four teams. That, that was definitely, that was, that was why the agent provided a list of four teams that Russell didn't want to be traded, but if he were to be traded, that he would accept it too. Like, yes, that was just clickbait. <laughs> it's Danny O'Neill, Paul Gallant, Danny Gallant, 710 ESPN Seattle. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Ryan Divish. Mariners beat reporter for the Seattle Times. What's going on with Marco Gonzalez? Is he going to be able to turn it around? And what other Mariners players could potentially be great in the second half of the season to maybe keep them in playoff contention? We'll talk about all those things next.